0: con is a taught to you shattered andrews welcome to the blind boy podcast if this is your first episode i recommend going back to an earlier episode or even beginning from the start even though there's almost jesus there's more than 200 episodes now but some people begin from the start but definitely revisit some earlier episodes because it will familiarize you with the lore of this podcast and if you're a regular listener if you're a forever Brenda, you know the crack. Welcome. So I've had a, I've had a turbulent evening. Have I had a turbulent evening? No, I haven't had a turbulent evening. I've had an unplanned evening. So uh, I, don't, I don't have a driver's license, right? I, I don't have a driver's license to drive a car if I wanted to. And I'm in my fucking mid-30s and I'm like, I don't have a driver's license. So I applied, like, nearly a year ago, I applied for what's known as my driver theory test, which is like a a, a multiple choice test that you do to even begin to apply for a driver's license. So I did that because I'm thinking, like, like, I don't, I don't need a car. I don't want a car. Like, I have a bicycle. I'm quite happy with that. Like I like cycling everywhere because it's exercise, it's physical, it's a meaningful journey. So I enjoy cycling. And the only other time I need transport is if I'm doing a gig. And when I'm doing a gig, I love the opportunity to use public transport. I love sitting on a train or sitting on a nice long bus ride because it's really enjoyable. Read a book, listen to music, it's quite peaceful. And also I can use public transport in Ireland because I have this plastic bag on my head I'm kind of well known enough that if I did sit down on a bus if people knew who I was I don't think I'd have a quiet journey um, because people have sat down beside me on buses and then they take out my book or I can hear them listening to my podcast and that's fine, they might be lovely but also there's a huge amount of people on Twitter who like to call me a cunt and I don't think I'd like I'd like to sit down beside one of them but I don't have to worry about that I've got a plastic bag on my head and when I get on a bus I don't have a plastic bag on my head so I have a nice quiet lovely journey so I definitely don't need a car I have no intentions of getting a car but I think I should have a driver's license I just think why the fuck not what's the worst that can happen get a fucking driver's license so today I got an email that was like your driver theory test is in a couple of days and then I went oh fuck I forgot I even applied for this, because I applied for it like six months ago, nearly a year ago. Because of COVID, there's been this huge backlog, so that's how long it took to give me a test. So today I just freaked out, I'm like, oh fuck, my driver theory test is in a couple of days, and I've done no study for it. Bollocks. So I've spent the afternoon doing fake driver theory tests online, and I managed to pass it twice. And I managed to pass it not by learning the rules of the road and actually studying. I passed it by figuring out the structural flaws of the the exam itself. And it's specifically the tone of the language. So here's a bizarre bias that's present in the Irish driver theory test. It's like 50 questions. Each question has four possible answers. So here's the odd thing. The structural tone of the answers is rooted in the Irish childhood experience of being in primary school, okay? Irish primary school teachers, so primary school is, from when you're about seven till you're 12, Irish primary school teachers have a specific condescending way of speaking to you and a specific way they choose words when you have a question wrong or if you're late It's a passive-aggressive tone that prepares you for Irish adulthood. So here's the weird unconscious bias in the Irish driver theory test. You're given a question and you have four multiple choice answers. The answers that are wrong are all passive-aggressive. All the wrong answers sound like an Irish primary school teacher is saying them. And then the one right answer Sounds like it's coming out of the mouth of a Garda. And once you apply that logic, you can guess your way through all the questions. So here's an example. Here's an example of the flaws of this test. So one question is, what effect can wet weather have on the vehicle's exterior mirrors, right? So if it's raining, what does that do to the mirrors on your car? Really simple question. So there's four possible answers Let's read out the three that are definitely wrong. And I know they're wrong. And I tell you how I know they're wrong because I can read them out comfortably as a passive aggressive Irish primary school teacher. So option A, what effect can wet weather have on a vehicle's exterior mirrors? A, it has no effect. See the the shortness of that. It has no effect. It has no effect. That's clearly wrong. That's, they're baiting you. You're being baited into the wrong answer and you're going to be shamed when you get it wrong. Like if you're in school and the teacher says, what happens when rain hits the mirror, the side mirror of your car and you you answer, nothing happens. It has no effect. The teacher is just going to go, oh, it has no effect. It has no effect, Michael. Don't be ridiculous. Have you never been in a car in your life? And then everyone laughs at you. So then option B, what effect can wet weather have on a vehicle's exterior mirrors? Option B, it can short circuit the electrically heated mirrors. Again, clearly wrong. Uh, clearly, the wrong answer because what they've they've painted a, a Charlie Chaplin-style scenario there. The answer to that that question there is slapstick. It's th- th- I'd nearly go post-colonial there. That's almost like Paddy's afraid of electricity. So the answer to that question there is that if it rains on your car, right, the effect that it can have is that your electric mirrors are going to short circuit immediately you get this vision of, of a paddy in a flat cap scared of his own car. Didn't it start raining from the heavens above? And there was an old shot, started. and I got a most unmerciful wallop of electricity from the side mirror and didn't I do a shit in the seat of my pants? So, so that's the wrong answer. And you can imagine your, your primary school teacher shaming you for it. And, and you can comfortably hear your teacher shaming you for that answer oh teacher I, th- I think if it rains on the mirrors of the car they're going to short circuit oh Michael will you shut up will you shut up Michael CUNIS everybody CUNIS everyone quieting down Michael thinks he's going to get electrocuted from the wing mirror of a car so clearly the wrong answer like I said if you can imagine the answer if you can imagine yourself being humiliated by a primary school teacher for reading out that answer then that's the wrong answer so then the final answer that's definitely wrong. What effect can wet weather have on the vehicle's exterior mirrors? Final wrong answer it can keep them clean. Cause that's just fucking ridiculous. What happens if the rain what happens if the rain goes on your mirror? Oh it keeps them clean, miss. The the rain keeps the mirrors clean. Now that can immediately be followed up with Oh it keeps them clean, Michael, is it? It keeps 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 the mirrors clean. I'd say cleaning mirrors is all you're going to be doing when you grow up, now, Mike. Washing, cleaning the mirrors, and washing the boots of the car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you even wipe your own hole? So I can say with utter confidence, all three of them are wrong. Not because I, I know the rules of the road, but because they're setting you—they're they're setting you up for primary school humiliation by the teacher. Whoever the fuck wrote this, whatever civil servant wrote this theory test they have brain worms their brains are stuck within the procedural language of Irish institutions and then how do you find the right answer? you pick the one that sounds like a guard would say it so what effect can wet weather have on the vehicle's exterior mirrors? it can distort the rear vision of the driver of the vehicle boom, done, right answer because that's the only answer you can hear in the voice of a Garda. And the wrong answers basically set you up for primary school humiliation from a passive-aggressive teacher. And that's the entire test, every single fucking question. And I passed it twice using that exact approach. So, will I be doing that when I take my actual test? No, I won't. I'm actually going to try and do the test properly and study because it's important. It's fucking road safety. It's road safety. But I'm just pointing that out To whoever the fuck designed this test. You you need to. I don't know. Get get the Brits to write it or something. Because the wrong answers are structured around. a, A very specific. Irish childhood primary school shame. That we're all. Deeply fluent in. And then the one right answer is. That unnecessarily verbose. Procedural English that only Gardas use. Like, get get a Dutch person to write it. Dutch people have got this absolutely perfect English. We can't do this. We can't do it. We we the colonialism, post colonialism. We're still not over the Brits. We can't do it. We don't feel that these roads are ours. They were I. There's three types of road in Ireland. There's the roads the English built. And named after some bollocks who committed a genocide in Kenya. And then we had to name it after Daniel O'Connell. Those roads, they're still going strong. There's the more recent roads that the EU built. They're fantastic. And then in the middle, there's the roads that we built. Which we built for a donkey and cart. And then stuck a 100 kilometer per hour speed limit on it. For I don't know why we did that. So we can't handle this. We We have to sit this one out. Give this, give it to the Dutch. Get the Dutch to write our driver theory test. We can't do it. And we're not really good with kind of logical bureaucracy in general. And I I put this down to the fact that we speak Hiberno English. We don't speak English. We speak Hiberno English, which is the English language which is underpinned and informed With the structures of the Irish language. Like, Irish doesn't have a word for yes or no. Irish, we have ta and Neil. But ta doesn't mean yes. Ta means it is. And Neil means it isn't. So if someone asks someone who speaks Irish, can you swim? The answer isn't yes. The answer is, I can swim. Or did you eat? I did eat, rather than it being a simple yes or no, it's kind of a positive spin on the verb that was just asked. And this shit is the reason, this is why I'm convinced, why in Ireland, like, just take the rules of the road. We have a single yellow line. What does that mean? Single yellow line means don't park. Okay. What's that double yellow line mean? Or the double yellow line. That means definitely don't park. I'm just looking for a yes or no. That single yellow line. Can I park? You can't park. Uh, Just a yes or no. The double yellow line. Can I park on the double yellow line? You definitely can't park on the double yellow line. Or or even worse. When when, uh, at the start of coronavirus, when our government was responding to the coronavirus crisis, the government said... We've got it all sorted, lads, don't worry. So, there's a pandemic. So we're going to need to have a lockdown. But we've got five different levels of this lockdown, ranging in severity. One is the least severe, and five is the most severe lockdown. Very clear, five-point plan. Everyone was really happy, going, fucking hell, this is really simple. Five points, five-point plan. We'll know where we are. So as soon as the government announced its five-point plan, someone asked our leader, where are we now? And the answer was, three and a bit. Literally, that was the government's answer. So you've spent all this time creating a five-point plan, but we're not at four, and we're not at three. We're at three and a bit, yeah? We're at three and a bit. This is why as well, like, I remember being in the car with my mother once, and she was coming off the main road going towards her house and she didn't indicate and I said to her why the fuck didn't you indicate and she goes sure everyone knows I live in here sure what can you do with that like what can you do with that so we we shouldn't be writing our own driver theory test or even coming up with our own rules for something as serious as the roads because we're just not capable of it because of Hiberno English we can't we can't think in binary terms. Yes, no is binary. We don't have that in the structure of our language. So that's how you get single yellow line, don't park. Double yellow line, definitely don't park. And it's not all bad. I do think that this, the dualism with how we speak English, it, it's not great for writing the rules of the road, but it it, it, it is very good when it comes to rich storytelling. ...you know, being very descriptive with how we tell stories... ...or being very creative with how we write the English language... ...and, and for such a small population, historically... ...like, we're, we're, we're tiny, like, we're, the entire country is smaller than the population of London... ...for such a small country, we're, we're hugely overrepresented with English language writers... ...there's a massive amount of very important writers in the English language... ...that are Irish and who write in Hiberno-English... And to illustrate this further, they did this thing years ago, where they asked English people to give directions, and they asked Irish people to give directions. And the difference between the two was just hilariously different. I'll play you a little clip now so you can hear what I'm talking about. So they asked the English people for directions first. Excuse me, could you tell me the way to Parchment Street? Mm. Go down to Smith's and turn left, that's Parchment Street. Thanks. Me, the way to the cut, please. Yes, it's just along here, and you're first on the left. Lovely, thanks. And now, here's an Irishman being asked for directions. To go left, past the Mayflower. Huh? Past the Mayflower. Ah, uh, no, no, you're not that far down. Oh, all right. I only go down a few doors by there. Yeah. And you come to a red building. You can't miss the Red Bank, we call it. The Red Bank. And you turn left there. Okay. Pass up, that's the. The high street, will be there on your left. That's what they call the high street there. Yeah. Well, you don't have to go up the high street. There's no need. You could if you like, but continue up there and keep straight. You okay. come to the turn for Carrick and Shannon. Bypass that and you go straight into the hill. There's a hill in front of you there. Okay. And you go straight into that hill. And we'll see and you there. And up there and you're on the hill road. Okay, that's brilliant. So now, we'll go, go down here, go, go turn right left there, the and a short, when <laughs> down by the red bank, go yeah. left. And then left and then up the and road. And keep straight all the way and you'll see the hill in front of you when you right. go up. That's great. Thank you very much. And you'll be on the hill road then. Fantastic. Thank that's you. It. I know thank you no that's just fucking ridiculous that's the most ridiculous set of directions that I've ever heard and even if I heard them I don't think I'd I'd be any closer to getting where I wanted to go because he didn't he didn't give directions what he did is he he described the map of the area in terms of probabilities There was no binary yes, no. It was probabilities. One sentence in particular was, the high street would be there on your left. It's what they called the high street. Now you don't have to go up the high street. You could if you liked, but you don't have to go up there. That's what that man chose to say instead of saying, turn right when you get to the high street. He presented the person with, two possibilities I'm not going to give you the binary left and right I'm going to give you the quantum superposition of both left and right at the exact same time the probabilities of choices that you can make I'm going to introduce a narrative with a sense of conflict into your day because if you say to someone go up there the high street is on your left now you don't have to go up the high street you could if you liked but you don't have to go up there. I'm not thinking about turning right anymore because I'm wondering about what am I missing on the high street? And that's just, it's just fucking fascinating. And now lads like that, they're kind of, they're kind of disappearing, unfortunately, because if you go out the country, if you go out the country in Ireland and you ask an owl lad or an owl one for directions, you're going to get a response like that. You're not getting directions. You're getting a rich history of the land, which is also intertwined with people's relationship with that land. Because they might start talking about their son or their brother or who owns what house or why that house is called that house. Like I was filming during the week with uh, the comedian Tommy Tiernan. And me and Tommy were talking about this exact thing. We were talking about Irish directions. And he told me a story about he was up the country one time and he stopped a fella looking for directions and your man gave him directions like that and he said you go straight go up there and then he goes turn right at the ostrich and Tommy goes what the fuck do you mean turn right at the ostrich now Tommy's forgotten about where he wants to go what the directions are and all he cares about is turn right at the ostrich and then the farmer goes yeah There's a field up there with an ostrich in there. Her name is Dolly Parton. Now Tommy's entire journey has been detoured because he wasn't given directions. He was given several different probabilities and one of those probabilities was to see an ostrich called Dolly Parton. Sure, that's the rest of your day ruined. What, what, what sane individual is going to pass up that opportunity? And... I have a tiny little hot take around why I think this is. And I, this, this might be, it might be incorrect. But a few weeks back I had on this podcast a fella called Mankan Magan. And Mankan is, he speaks the Irish language fluently. And he writes books about the history of the Irish language. And Mankan told me something really interesting, which was, because the Irish language developed in an oral culture, because the Irish language is quite old it's nearly 2000 years old because the Irish language developed in an oral culture as in there was no writing we needed to tell stories about the entirety of our environment so every tree and every river and every mountain had to have a mythology around it because this helped us to remember that which can't be written down or recorded in any other way So when you create massive stories about the land around you and create this massive narrative, then nothing can be forgotten. So in that respect, if someone asks you for directions 2,000 years ago, you're not going to say, go there and take a left. You're going to tell the entire story of the area that you're in so that you then pass that knowledge on to the person you're speaking to. And they'll remember because they'll know that that tree up there has a ghost in it. And that river over there has got a talking fish. And obviously eventually then Irish became a written language. But at the time that English was being enforced on us, about 1537 it would have started with the the Statute of Ireland, an Act for the English Order, Habit and Language. So Irish became illegal Around the 1600s. With the penal laws. uh, Speaking Irish and writing Irish was illegal. And you had to speak English. But what that did too. That forced Irish back into being an oral language. Because whatever about speaking it. If you were able to write it down. Then there's evidence. So you're not going to get caught with a piece of Irish in writing. And most of the country spoke Irish. So I find it interesting that. At the same time that Irish was illegal and would have been strictly an oral culture because it was illegal, that was also the same time that we were being enforced to speak English. And and that's my hunch there as to how you get something which is a tenet of oral culture. When you're asked for simple directions and you give someone a giant story, That is a tenet of oral culture. But when you do that in the English language, in Hiberno-English specifically, what you have there is the resistance between the two things. Your brain is thinking by the rules of the oral culture. Nothing is short. Nothing is curt. There's no yes, no. Every answer must contain a rich narrative that tells a story of everything. Because if you don't, information gets lost. So you're thinking orally, but you're speaking English, a language which is legal, is enforced and can be written down. And maybe that's why, we, that's why the, the Irish directions are a thing. That's why Irish directions are a thing that we've all encountered at one point. That's how they came to be. That's how they were handed down. Now, that's my half-baked hot take there. And if you know about this shit, give me a mail. ...and tell me what you think of that theory... ...but take that with a pinch of salt... That's, ...that's a little theory that I have... ...about Irish directions... ...you know... ...you have to interrogate that... ...where are the English people saying... ...go straight and take a left... ...and then the Irish people are telling an entire story... ...about the area with multiple probabilities... ...and another little aside while I'm thinking about it... Uh, ...this week... ...Sally Rooney... ...who's probably the biggest writer in the world today... ...Sally Rooney's new book... Beautiful World Where Are You came out. Sally's an Irish writer Sally writes in Hiberno English and I read a review of Sally's book and the reviewer spoke about how in Sally's new book so much of it is emails between two characters and how much of the conversation is taken up with describing the respective journeys that they have to make to see each other and describing the landscape and describing their journeys essentially writing out maps with words and narrative and when I encountered that analysis of Sally Rooney's new book I couldn't help but associate it with that very specific way of giving directions in Irish where it's so rich and it tells so much and how that then can be traced to the oral tradition. It reminds me too a bit of the first time I had Emma Dabbery on this podcast and she spoke about oral culture within West Africa and how in West Africa, where there wasn't a written language, people used hair, the patterns of a person's hair, how a certain hairstyle was in parts of West Africa and how different hairstyles told a story about that person about their ancestors, about their status about where they come from about the land around them just a different way to a different way to record history when the written word isn't present like here's here's something I've been thinking about a lot recently in terms of modern oral culture like a little oral tradition or an oral culture that all of us have participated in, and is now kind of gone. So when I was growing up, we'll say in the 90s, television in the 90s, and in the 70s and in the 80s, comedy in particular used to rely upon catchphrases. And catchphrases were a really funny sentence that a character might say on a comedy show on TV, and then as soon as the TV show is over... And you don't have a VHS and you can't watch it on demand. All you're left with is a memory, a shared memory of that very funny TV show that you watched and that all your friends watched at the same time on television. And then the goal of a catchphrase was. That you might put it out on a Sunday night and then on a Monday morning, everyone is using that catchphrase. And that's how a comedy show went viral before the Internet. That was oral meme culture that was how word of mouth made a piece of television popular through catchphrases let's take father ted for example father ted was massively popular in the fucking 90s and father ted relied upon catchphrases in particular father jack father jack used to say drink arse feck girls now i was a child in school but on a monday tuesday wednesday everybody was just saying drink arse feck girls and in offices in britain and in ireland everybody was saying drink arse feck girls and it only existed because you you couldn't whip out your phone and say look at this bit on father ted last night once father ted went out on tv that was it You could have recorded it yourself on VHS and watched it yourself but you can't carry a television around with you so people needed to relive the shared empathy of humour through repeating catchphrases Drink arse feck girls Same with a funny film called Whitnail and I In the 90s and early 2000s people doing Whitnail and I quotes to each other in social settings was a completely normal thing Roaring drink arse feck girls all the time was a normal thing to do. Nowadays, people don't do it anymore. Why? Because we have the fucking internet. If something funny happens on the internet, you don't need to memorize a catchphrase and engage in the shared empathy of humor with your friend by repeating that catchphrase, repeating the memory of what you saw that's now gone. Now you just simply, it becomes a meme. So the recorded document that is a comedy meme The funny TikTok that you see, the funny YouTube video, that's simply what they are. It's a funny video that you can literally share with your friend. But it has eradicated the oral tradition of catchphrases. And I know this intimately because I began writing comedy for television literally at the very end. My first ever TV comedy sketch that I wrote professionally was called The Rubber Bandit's Guide to Limerick. It was in 2010. It was on RTE. And I deliberately wrote the catchphrase, That's Limerick City. Right? That In this sketch, myself and Mr. Chrome say, That's Limerick City. As a deliberate catchphrase. And it worked. For like a year, everyone was saying, That's Limerick City. And the reason was is that smartphones didn't exist yet. So people could still go to YouTube and re-watch the sketch over and over, but they couldn't share it on their phones. The phones didn't exist. You had to go to your laptop or your PC. So that was the very end of catchphrases working. People used to shout that in the street. But now it's pointless. It's done. There's no point in that anymore. And if you're old enough to remember using catchphrases in everyday conversation and how much fun it used to be it used to be fun you'll know that what you're doing you're trying to grasp at a memory you're trying to do your best to hold on to the memory of something you can't access you can't watch Father Ted on demand in the office on a Monday fucking friends, Chandler could I be any more serious? could I be? this is all people fucking did this is all people did. They shouted catchphrases at each other and they loved it. If you did it now, someone would murder you because there's no point. We, we no longer require that oral tradition. We've managed to record it as documented evidence. How the fuck did I go from the driver theory test to Chandler Bing? So th- I'm, I'm, blaming, I'm blaming the inefficiency of the driver theory test and it's overly emotive language, on the duality of Hiberno-English. I believe that Hiberno-English has made it difficult for the Irish to engage in efficient bureaucracy and clear communication. But it does have its benefits when applied to literature and storytelling. This was going to be a mental health podcast. I was... (laughs) I was going to do a mental health podcast this week, but... What I thought was an intro turned out to be a, a rambling hot take. But I will be studying for that driver theory test because I want to do it properly. I want to do it properly and safely. Do you know what, though? I actually did pass it, like, nearly a decade ago. I used to drive a car. I used... To, I I had a car for, like, two years. And I drove it around the place. And it was when I had... um. I had a job like a normal job for a short time just after I left college I worked in an office I worked in the call centre of a mobile phone company and when I was in the call centre I ended up having to be removed from the call centre because when I was on the phone people used to recognise my accent from these prank phone calls that I used to make years ago when I was a teenager but people were recognising my accent So they had to take me out of the call centre. And then they put me into the fraud department and I didn't last very long in the fraud department. I lasted only about two months because I was overly horizontal on my chair. They had these type of chairs in the office that you you could basically go fully horizontal like a bed. And I found myself doing that, which managed to piss off The upper echelons of the office because they were like, who the fuck is this cunt who's horizontal trying to be working in the fraud department? And one day I didn't like the job. I fucking hated it. I hated working in an office. It did not suit me at all. And I'm glad I worked in that office so I could learn what I didn't like. I'm really glad I did. I ended up getting fired because one day I used the office printer to print out like 120 pages about the CIA's history of smuggling cocaine in South America. And I ended up getting a grilling uh, from management. And they're like, what the fuck are you doing? 120 pages about the CIA? What, what's wrong with you? And I think I didn't even give a fuck about the grilling. All I wanted to do was talk to them about like... The CIA smuggled cocaine in South America. The CIA... They, there's fucking evidence. There's evidence. And that got me fired. But during that period, I had a car. Yeah, I used to drive a fucking car. A Peugeot 206. It used to sound like Marge Simpson because I put diesel into it by accident. And I'd passed my theory test the first time, but I had one of those provisional licenses and I never renewed it. So I actually can drive. I actually... Can, I may, I, 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 Well, I don't know. It's been a long time. I'm assuming it's like a bicycle. But I actually drove, like, for two years. And then I became... And then I, I went into the job that I'm in now. I, I was like, I'm going to I'm gonna pursue art. So obviously, <clears throat> pursuing art at the, the earliest stages of a, a professional art career, you can't have a car or pay for insurance or petrol or anything like that because there's not enough money. I'm after doing an Irish direction of a podcast. This was supposed to be a different podcast. I, I had not intended the, the previous 30 minutes. So I've gone full Irish directions on the the entire narrative of what the podcast was. Let's have the ocarina pause. Let's, Let's settle ourselves with the ocarina. Hold up. that was the ocarina pause that means you heard an algorithmically generated advert don't know what it was for i hope it wasn't the road safety authority i know the road safety authority have definitely taken ads out on this podcast if you're listening road safety authority please get some dutch people to to fucking write the the driver theory test all right and and take on board my post colonial critique Support for this podcast comes from you, the listener, via the Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash the Blind Buy podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, if you're listening to it regularly, if it's providing you with entertainment, solace, comfort, whatever, please consider paying me for the work that I'm doing because this is my full time job. This is how I earn a living. I love doing this. But if you're like, fuck it, I've listened to Blind Buy. Couple of times now, I really enjoyed that. If I met him in real life, I'd probably buy him a pint or a cup of coffee. Well, if you feel that way, then you can give me the equivalent of a pint or the equivalent of a cup of coffee via the Patreon page. All right, that's all I'm looking for. Price of a pint or a cup of coffee once a month, and you get four podcasts, and then I can earn a living and have the time that's necessary to make the podcast each week and to put in the research that I put in and the writing and all of that, carry on. Um, If you can't afford that, of course, don't worry about it. You can listen for free, okay? You might not have a job at the moment. You might be short on cash. That's grand. You can listen for free. If you can't afford it, if you can't afford to pay me for the work that I'm doing, you're paying for the person who can't afford it. So it's a lovely model that's based on kindness and soundness. Everybody gets a podcast I earn a living. Fucking, what more could you want? Press the follow button on the podcast. Leave a review of the podcast. Talk about the podcast to a friend. This stuff is really important to not just my podcast, but any other independent podcast. If you're enjoying podcasts that are just made by one person or two people, support these podcasts in any way that you can because the podcast landscape is becoming oversaturated with corporate money and they're churning out an awful lot of shit and small podcasts that are being made by people who are really passionate about what they're doing they're kind of getting buried a little bit so please support this podcast and any other independent podcast that you enjoy it's, it's really important follow me on Instagram, Blind by Ball Club don't follow me on Twitter. Twitter Twitter is... I'm not going to... Twitter makes people behave like cunts. I'm a cu- I don't like me on Twitter. I'm a cunt on Twitter. I wouldn't follow me if I was on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram. I deeply dislike myself on Twitter. T- Twitter is a video game where people compete to have the best complaint. I've gone too deep now. I can't, I can't just leave. Follow me on Twitch. Twitch.tv forward slash The Blind Podcast, where I do live streams. It's enjoyable, crack. So I'm now not going to do a mental health podcast because this has been derailed... And there's not enough time left to do an in-depth mental health episode. I might consider it next week. So for the rest of this podcast, I'm gonna I'm gonna just answer some questions because I'm always getting questions for from you, and you're always asking me to please answer questions. One of them was from Sully. Sully wanted to know what happened with my barbecue. If you were listening in two weeks ago, you'll know that I had a a pre legal altercation with a Dutch company who I'd bought a faulty barbecue from. So I'd bought myself a a Kamado barbecue as like a late birthday present. And I'm not telling you when my birthday is because I know there's people who are just going to fucking get into my DMs about star signs. No thanks. So I got myself a late birthday present of a Kamado barbecue, which is, it's not even a barbecue. It's like a little small outdoor oven. It's a small little outdoor oven, they're fantastic that you put some wood charcoal into and you'll know from listening to this podcast too that I try and eat a plant based diet for most of the week. So for maybe 5-6 days a week I eat plant based food I don't eat meat. Um, I do this for the environment I do this for the environment because I think most of us moving forward as a society we need to not be as reliant on eating meat as much as we do. It's unsustainable. It's not sustainable to eat meat every day of the week. It's, it's just, that's not how it's supposed to be. So I try and be plant-based most of the time, but I can't completely give up meat because it's too fucking tasty. And I apologise to any fucking vegans out there and vegetarians who are making that sacrifice, but I'm just not there yet. So once a week... I make myself a meal or twice a week that contains meat. Usually a lovely Sunday dinner, like a chicken or a roast beef. So I got myself this Kamado barbecue because I wanted to do entire roast dinners in it. I wanted, it's, it's a weird looking outdoor oven about the size of an exercise ball. It's round. And my plan was you just put a bit of wood charcoal in in the morning throw in my chicken throw in my roast potatoes and just leave it with the cover on for six hours and it just slowly cooks the chicken and the spuds and you get this lovely roast chicken and spuds with a smoky flavor from the charcoal so it's like an all-year barbecue that you can use with a cover on it it's not like a summer thing it's you can use this in December outdoors if you want the thing is they're incredibly expensive they're Like between a grand and two grand. And I was like fuck that. No way. So Big Egypt bought a really really cheap one online. And then it arrived like smashed up. And the company I bought it from are really not wanting to give me a refund. Just again to big up the Dutch. And to reinforce the case that they should be writing our driver theory test. Like they're just expertly making an absolute gobshite out of me. In perfect English, using immaculate bureaucracy and staying within EU law while at the same time creating a situation where they keep my money and I don't send my Kamado barbecue back, but I'm not letting that happen I'm gonna be an awkward buy so I've gotten to the I'm, I'm at the passive aggressive state where under EU law I've gotten to to agree to give me a refund if I can send it back to them. But I don't have the original packaging. So now I'm wrapping a big Kamado oven in about two foot of bubble wrap and sending it back to him. And if it arrives in any way damaged, they don't have to give me a refund. So that's where I'm at with the fucking Kamado barbecue. However, when I told my story about my Kamado barbecue two weeks ago, I got contacted by a listener called Lewis over in the UK and he has a small little company in the UK that make like outdoor grills and pizza ovens and camado barbecues. They're called freshgrills.co.uk and I'm giving them a little plug because they're a small business and it was it was just really nice, really sound to reach out to me and try and help me out. And Lewis was like, We make Kamado barbecues and they're really well made and they're cheaper than the Dutch lads you went to. So I'm going to get my new Kamado barbecue That's of good quality. From them. Freshgrills.co.uk And hopefully Brexit and customs. Isn't going to be an issue. Because I've had my heart broken several times this year. Because of that. I had spices. I ordered spices. Uh, Indian curry powders. From England. Like four months ago. And they only, they only arrived the other day. Wrapped in red tape that said. Opened by customs. Because I'm assuming customs thought it was a lot of drugs. So Avril asks. What is the secret to happiness? There's no such thing as happiness. There's no such thing as happiness. The, there is unfortunately such thing as sadness. Now I'll tell you what I mean by that. So. So we tend to walk around life thinking I will be happy when I will be happy. If, if, if only I wasn't in this job, I would be happy. If only I was in a different relationship, I would be happy. If only I lived in a different country, I would be happy. Now that, that doesn't mean that improving your situation, in each one of them circumstances isn't going to bring you out of unhappiness. But this idea that happiness is a state that we can reach, that's an illusion. That doesn't exist. There's there's no such thing as this long-term feeling of happiness that doesn't actually exist. If you think back to your life, you've never had it. What you can have is meaning. And if you think back to a time in your life where you perceive you were like, wow, I was really happy then. I bet you weren't like fucking thrilled, happy, non stop smile on your face 24 7. I bet you instead, when you think back to when you think you were happy, what you actually had was a sense of meaning and purpose. And within meaning and purpose, you still have the, the suffering of being alive. Within meaning and purpose, you're still disappointed, you're still frustrated, you're angry, but those negative emotions tend to exist for a reason, with a sense of purpose. They are the conflict in the journey that you have in a meaningful existence. Now, like I said, you can have genuine, sustained unhappiness. Unfortunately, that does exist. If you're really miserable and you're spending a huge amount of your day feeling upset about things that have happened in the past or feeling worried or sad about things that might happen. If if that's your life, then you're upset pretty much all the time. But when your life has meaning, if you're, if you're engaged in something that, that gives you a sense of purpose or meaning, then you're not wallowing in that sadness You're not overthinking things that are outside of your control. And the past and the future are kind of outside of our control. So what I do is I don't say to myself, I would like to be happy. What I say to myself is, I would like to be in a position whereby whatever I'm doing in my life is giving me a sense of meaning and purpose. Right now, me personally... I have that because I have this job. I I love making this podcast. I love the fact that I'm writing a new book. So what gives me personally, what gives me meaning is creating. I'm I'm an artist at heart. So if I'm involved in creativity and my creativity is also how I earn a living, then that means I have meaning in my life. Does that mean that I'm happy all the time? No it doesn't, I get angry, I get upset, I get frustrated, but I'm not excessively upset to the point that I'm wallowing and focusing on things that are outside of my control such as the past and the future, so within that meaning I do get moments of happiness, but there were times there over the fucking pandemic, especially when I wasn't able to exercise and the gyms were closed, there were times there where I was really struggling to find meaning. And then I was upset for a sustained period and my mental health took a hit. The other thing with happiness and meaning is that they're not destinations. They're not something you reach towards. They're something that happened along the way in in the process. So they're very process-based. So again, personally, writing a book gives me meaning and happiness. The process of doing it. The process of making that book, which can take a year or two. And within that process is frustration, disappointment, failure, all of this stuff. But the meaning that that gives me, because it's purposeful meaning, I then get happiness in it. Finishing a book, getting to the end point, that doesn't give me happiness, that doesn't give me meaning, that actually gives me a little bit of anxiety. The meaning always happens in the process. And that's not just for me, that's whatever you do, whatever you identify as giving you meaning, the process tends to be where the fun happens, not the end result. We, we convince ourselves that happiness will happen at the end. No, it's process, it's day by day. So if you're searching for happiness, if you're like, I want to be happy, shift the goalposts a little bit that happiness that you think you can get that's an illusion, that doesn't exist that doesn't exist try and find what gives you meaning are you someone who gets meaning from other people from social interaction do you get meaning from animals from creativity do you get meaning from sport do you get meaning from helping your community in some way a lot of people will volunteer to help other people and meaning comes from there. Try and find out what gives you a sense of meaning and purpose. And try and make your journey to be one that moves towards there. Towards that place. And that there is happiness. And even still within that, you're still going to have disappointment, rejection, pain, fear. All these things will exist in there, but they can exist purposefully. But to exist without meaning means that you're experiencing excessive pain that has no purpose. And I can't tell you what gives you meaning. And some people need to still need to find what it is that gives them meaning. But meaning and purpose is unique to you. And if you're struggling to identify what is it that gives you a sense of purpose and meaning and fulfillment, if you're struggling to identify that within yourself, Then ask yourself, how much of your life depends upon needing the approval of other people? Is your sense of identity dependent upon how you would like other people to see you? And what's a quick way to find that out? How much of your day do you spend being jealous of other people? Feeling like shit if you find out that someone you know is after? Uh, getting or achieving something that you'd like maybe they get a job that you'd like or they have some achievement that you'd like and when they do this you then feel like shit because of what someone else has achieved or if you're looking down on other people if there's people that you know who aren't doing too well in their lives at the moment or they embarrass themselves or fuck up and then you feel good about this that there is evidence of an external locus of evaluation that it's possible that your sense of self-esteem and identity depends very heavily on the approval of other people and that can cloud your perception of who you truly are your true self and when you're in that situation where you can't identify your 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 own needs then you'll have difficulty knowing what it is that gives you meaning and you can work on that and if that's the case if You are excessively feel that in your mind, you feel good about yourself when other people approve of you. When you live that way externally on the expectations of other people, that can be one of the things that will cloud you from understanding what it is that gives you a sense of purpose and meaning. That right there is known as the ideal self. If you want to hear more of that, go back to my podcast called on becoming a person where I go in depth on that theory so there's my answer When if you ask how do you achieve happiness you don't, you try to achieve meaning and that's a very flippant answer that I've just given it's rooted in a bit of Buddhism and a bit of existentialism but I'm not taking on board people who might be living with a mental illness people who might be Working through trauma, people who might be neurodivergent. I'm not taking these things on board with that answer. So it's it's a very, a very basic answer that they've just given there, and um, that wouldn't that mightn't apply to everybody. All right, that's all I got time for this week. Um, that 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 podcast wasn't planned like that. I ended up on a on a derailing hot take at the start, but fuck it, I enjoyed it. I'll be back next week, maybe with a hot take. We'll see what the crack is. In the meantime, enjoy the enjoy the creeping September evenings. Rub a dog. And try and have some compassion. Some compassion for your neighbour. Yart.